I'm Matt Dixon, and welcome to the Purple Patch Podcast. The mission of Purple Patch is to empower and educate every human being to reach their athletic potential. Through the lens of athletic potential, you reach your human potential. The purpose of this podcast is to help time-starved people everywhere integrate sport into life. And welcome to the Purple Patch Podcast. As ever, your host, Matt Dixon. And this week, well, I am excited for the conversation today because this podcast is all around performance, performance in sport, but also in broader life. And our guest today is a coach, but not a sports coach. It is Dr. Amy Johnson, psychologist, coach, author, speaker. She's the author of Being Human, the little book of Big Change and the no-willpower approach to breaking any habit. She's the founder of the Little School of Big Change to help people find freedom from anxiety and habits and live a more peaceful life. She's also the host of a podcast that I was recently on, The Changeable Podcast. Did you catch that title? Changeable. Smells like purple patch, huh? Change-able. She's created a groundbreaking paradigm shift in the way that we view change. Habits and anxiety are a result of misunderstanding who we are and how our human experience works. And today we are going to dig into navigating change, developing a mindset to not take the thoughts that fill our brain quite so personally, and how to build a healthy relationship with adversity and failure. Now, both Amy and I work with people who are seeking change, improvement in their lives, people that want to evolve their relationships or behavior patterns, ideally for the better. And my background in chronic fatigue overtraining is somewhat parallel to Amy's background in some eating disorders and other challenges. And so I'm incredibly excited to chat with Amy today. And I hope that you enjoy the conversation, but also find it really, really helpful, and I have no doubt that you will. Before we dive in, let's go back to some of our favorite segments. It's been a couple of weeks, and so I want to launch in today with, who the bleeding heck are you? And this week, I have to say, this is my favorite section of the podcast, but this week, who the bleeding heck are you? It's you, the Purple Patch Athletes, because today I feel a little bit like a proud papa favorite little son and daughter that's done so well and I feel like I've just got to gloat a little because over the last couple of weeks we decided to do some mathematics always one of my weak points but luckily I'm very good at surrounding myself with people that are much smarter than myself in such fields and what we did is we looked into our vaults of results our pro athletes our amateurs Ironman athletes Ironman 70.3 and we decided to look at the qualifiers that we've had in these events across all of our athlete populations over the years of purple patch and the reason that we did that the catalyst was that we've begun 2021 and the return to racing with a blitz of incredibly impressive personal performances including many many qualifiers to the world championships a kind of crazy number to be honest and we thought Look, how many have got their slot? But more than that, how many have ever got their slot under Purple Patch? And we don't have all of the details or all of the files for every athlete result that we've ever created at Purple Patch. But over the course of our time with Purple Patch, we found over 700 qualifiers to world championship events. My jaw dropped. I was surprised by that number. And of course, 
proud. And so it made me want to thank every one of those athletes, the 700 plus, for their trust and their efforts for representing Purple Patch and our mission to build performance off of a platform of health and a mindset that fosters optimal performance well beyond racing. And so today, to you 700 plus, thank you. But beyond that, more important, another thought emerged. Because if we go beyond the 700 plus qualifiers, and, and that's amazing, but we start to think about all of the athletes that have achieved great personal success without a podium, without qualification, without heading to a world championships. And these folks, many of you folks listening, equally generated the same pride, the same happiness, because we regrounded ourselves is the fact that our mission isn't to collect as many qualifications as possible, to create as many world championships. Yes, that's wonderful, and we like that and have enjoyed it, and very proud of our world champions. But our mission is to educate and empower all human beings to reach their athletic potential. We want you guys to thrive, to achieve your sporting goals, yes. But by going on the journey, build confidence, health, and performance across all aspects of life. And so while the wins and podiums and qualifiers are absolutely super, where the real joy comes is the fact that to be a purple patch athlete of any level is to be united, united with others in a quest for self-improvement. And so to the thousands now of athletes who have achieved, but haven't qualified and may never, thank you guys and equally well done, because you are the heartbeat of Purple Patch, and your results and improvements sit right up there alongside any of the people that we mentioned that qualified. Well done. Amazing. And so for this week, for Ooh, the Bleeding Lucky You, it is our Purple Patch athletes, now and in history, the qualifiers and everyone. Well done. And with that, Barry, let's get on with the squatty update. And it's a simple one for the squaddy update. How can we not dovetail off of that piece on self-improvement? You want a piece of that, guys? You want performance? You want to become a part of something so supportive, supportive of your journey, your performance, your health, something that can be the wind beneath your performance sails? Well, become a part of Purple Patch. Join us. Head to purplepatchfitness.com or... If you want a one-to-one, -one, an email dialogue, maybe a phone conversation, reach out to us directly, info at purplepatchfitness.com, and we will support you. There is no better time than right now. There's a whole rest of this year ahead, and we want to help you thrive. That's it. That's the squatty update. No more. I'm done. Advertorial over. Now, it is that time, Barry. Let's do this thing. Let's hold hands. Word of the week. We like the way he thinks. Serious with the way. Let's open the book. It's time to take a peek. It's the dictionary word of the week. The word of the week this week Santa Barbara. What? Isn't that a town in Southern California? Say my English friends. Well, my brothers at least. Let's put it that way. It is. But it's also a triathlon race. 
The Santa Barbara Triathlon this year is 40 years old. It is a long-time iconic fixture of the California triathlon circuit. And for me, it has always been a favorite, the Santa Barbara Triathlon. I got to race the Santa Barbara Triathlon several times, and I can't help today but tell you my little story that sticks in my head most. And to be honest, kind of showcases a lot of my, quote, pro career as a triathlete. And so the calm swim goes off, and I navigate it well, using my strength as a background as a swimmer. I get onto the bike and I decide to hammer. I'm going for it. And goodness me, ladies and gentlemen, did I hammer. I rode very, very well. I took the lead. I stretched the lead. I stretched the lead a little further. I was out of sight. And into transition two, I came. The thousands and thousands of eager fans, well, the spattering of people that are around, the local crowd cheered me on. I rapidly changed into my running shoes. And behind me, the second place athletes were chasing. And there was someone in there that I knew was a great athlete and runner. I remember his name, a lovely guy, CJ Castle. And it is as I exit T2, as they call it, I hear the words from the race announcer. And there he goes. Dixon is putting on a show. He is four minutes up on the second place. Surely no one can catch him from here. And so I find my stride. And the words echoed and bounced around my head. No one can catch him from here. I remember thinking to myself, I wouldn't be so sure about that. Did this announcer not realize that I run like a donkey dipped in cement? And so let's fast forward. You want to know the result? Yes, the result of that race was second place. As memory serves by about 10 seconds. CJ, you bastard. I still haven't forgiven you. But you know what? I remember that as fondly as just a magic race on the shores of Santa Barbara, a calm swim, a wonderful ride through the Santa Barbara Hills and a run all along the coast with so much support and personality finishing right next to downtown. Well, guess what, guys? That race is back. And this year, it's a special 40-year celebration. It's just in a couple of months' time, August 28th and 29th weekend. And so I wanted to let you know about it. Sign up. Go and get it. If you've got a big race this fall, Ironman 70.3 World Championships, maybe you're getting ready for a full Ironman or half Ironman. This is a wonderful race as a gateway or stepping stone to it. A magical town with a wonderful escape. And it's a really fun distance on a little bit more than a short course race, but without the pounding of a half Ironman distance race. SantaBarbaraTriathlon.com. We're going to add it to the show notes, but I highly encourage you to think about adding it to your schedule, especially if you're on the best coast. I mean, the West Coast. Santa Barbara is a special place, and this triathlon is simply iconic. And that is why this week, my word of the week is Santa Barbara. And with that in mind, we head into our discussion with Dr. Amy Johnson, navigating change, handling adversity, building resilience. It is the meat and potatoes.
All right, yes, it is the meat and potatoes. And a guest this week, Amy Johnson, PhD psychologist, coach, author, speaker. Amy, so much. Thank you so much for joining the show. Thank you so much for having me, Matt. I can't wait to have this conversation. Well, I, I feel like we're uh, shifting seats here because a few weeks ago, which we are going to share in, in a couple of weeks on this show as well, you interviewed me. So now you're sitting in the hot seat. And as yes. I say to the athletes, don't I mess it up. I prefer this seat than your seat, but our conversation was great and my audience loved it. So yeah, I'm excited. Thank you. Well, I know, I know that your our conversation is going to be incredibly insightful and uh, and uh, and helpful to our audience. And how's that for stacking a little bit of pressure on you as we go? <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so without further ado, let's get going. And as with every guest that we have on this show, I think it's really important that the listeners understand who they're talking to. And that starts with your, your background going all the way back. So very broadly, give us a little bit of insight into you, Amy, growing up, family background, where you grew up, et cetera. Yeah, so I um, I grew up here in Michigan, which is where I haven't lived here forever, but I'm back here. So I grew up in Michigan. Um, I kind of had a, a childhood where I was always really, really oddly interested in psychology, which sounds really weird, but I mean, I didn't know, I didn't know the word psychology, <laughs> but from the time I was a kid, I, um, you know, I just wanted to figure out why people did what they did, why, uh, why adults were stressed out all the time. I think that was probably really my leading question as a kid. Mm -hmm. Why, why do adults worry so much and why do they talk about work and money and all of this stuff as much as they do? Cause as a kid, none of that seemed all that interesting. Um, my parents got divorced and, and I, I just remember thinking like, oh my gosh, I want to know, like, why does life look like it gets so hard when you get older? So um, yeah, so I was really interested in all of that from a young age. I had, I had one sister and then my mom got remarried and I had another sister when I was 15. So I have a couple siblings, but my, my little sister is almost more like my daughter in some ways. Uh, but it's, mm -hmm. it, that was a really cool experience. And, and so, yeah, I, uh, I studied psychology as I figured I would. Um, and really what I studied was more social psychology, why people do what they do really in social settings, kind of thinking I would go into research perhaps and be a professor. And, and I studied some clinical psychology too. And kind of partway through that, I just sort of decided, I don't know that I want to be a professor forever. I really want to work more with people and talk with people and help people. So I ended up leaving graduate school and working in industries. I worked like in companies, helping them with some research. I, I worked uh, in the legal field, helping, helping attorneys craft their speeches and things like that for trials. And I always had this calling to go back to working with people. And so around that time, this was like in the early 2000s, coaching was a thing, like performance coaching, life coaching, whatever it was called. It was a new thing. No one really knew what coaching was, but mm -hmm. it was closer to what I wanted to do, you know, where you weren't working with people with schizophrenia and those type, types of things. You're kind of working with everyday people to just see how they tick and how they can kind of, you know, have a nicer life. So I dove into that and have have been coaching in various uh, forms and it's looked, you know, different ways uh, since about 2007. When uh, and, and I'm interested, you sort of talk about that, and I'm I'm going to ask questions around parallels 
between the work that you do and perhaps in our prior conversation, we talked a lot about human potential and athletic potential. So I'm going to ask yeah. about that. But just before I do, your your journey through academia, how much of your personal life experience informed, do you think, the desire to go into this field or continue to go into this field, particularly coaching? Um, a ton of it. <laughs> I think a lot. Yeah. I mean, like I said, I, I always had this burning interest in figuring this stuff out because of my personal experience. And then uh, kind of, you know, as a kid and, and especially as a young adult, I had a lot of anxiety um, and that was a thing too, you know, like, a, like mm-hmm. now I want to figure myself out. Now there is that much more motivation to kind of look into this stuff. So my anxiety um, sort of was, was on a rise and it kind of hit a peak when I was in my first couple years of graduate school. So I guess in my early to mid twenties, um, when I was having a ton of panic attacks and just, it was really bad for a while. Um, and I tried, I had access to all the best therapies cause I was studying with these people. Um, and I tried everything and it, it was surprising to me how hard it was to get some help, you know, and just how it was very hit or miss. And my anxiety, personally, like my anxiety did get better, but it kind of took some different forms. And my, I went from sort of just being anxious about anything and everything to it being more targeted around food and weight and things like that. Um, and so in, in diagnosis terms, I probably went from having panic disorder and generalized anxiety to having bulimia and binge eating. Those would be the diagnoses. But how I see mm-hmm. that now is, again, it's all anxiety. It was all just a super busy mind that just had different outlets. So mm-hmm. I struggled with the food-related stuff for quite a while. And that, too, I was coaching at that time. And it was so frustrating because I, I could help my clients with a lot of things, but the best tools I had weren't helping me with my thing. So it, that kept me on this constant uh, constant path of just wanting to learn as much as I could about this. And why do people do what they do? And, and where do we find peace? And, and if we look at the landscape of the type of folks that you help now, which is an incredibly difficult, <laughs> broad landscape, it's sort of like, who do you work with, Matt? Uh, can, for our listeners, can you give a, a maybe a, an overview of the type of folks that you help now? Yeah, primarily um, people people who are struggling with a habit or anxiety, which I consider a habit, mental habit, um, and and really in particular feeling super stuck and they've tried everything. They're super smart people, super resourceful. Like these aren't people who don't know where to turn. Like they, these are people who've read every self-help book and they've been to every coach and every therapist and they've tried mm-hmm. all the popular techniques and nothing has helped. And again, because that was me, that was me forever. Like I knew where to go and I was going to work like crazy until I got to the bottom of this, but nothing I was finding out in the world was helping. It, and, and, and it can be expressed across many, many different humans all the way to athletes, knowing that that's not your expertise. But it, yeah. it, it almost, the point is it doesn't really matter what the endeavor is, whether it's a parent, whether it's a CEO, whether it was a, a world-class athlete, these things are all correlated in many ways, yeah? Yeah, for um, sure. Yeah. I, I think it's a, a, a good time. I'm going to come back to this word later, but uh, your podcast is called Changeable, which uh, which is 
the first real connector that I had with you because we have a whole concept at Purple Patch of being change able. So we're going to dig into that a little bit later. Uh, but but first, I'm going to come back to what I promised we we're going to talk about. And I'm really interested in drawing the parallels between the work that you do with helping people out of anxiety, uh, addictive behavior, components like that, and the work that I tend to do with athletes. Mm -hmm. Because it's basically, it, it's still, it's performance driven. So you're helping someone reach their, their human potential. And, uh, you know, when, when someone wants to make a change and perhaps start a new habit, I, I see quite often that they commit to the habit and very, very quickly that habit becomes ingrained, personal, almost like straight away pass fail and can go to a almost a, a sort of punishment mindset where there is no room. They are either doing good, checking the boxes, this is my habit, or they're doing bad, goodness me, I'm a failure. Yeah. And so I think that... Um, I, I want you to dig into that concept a little bit because it has ramifications across sport and life. And so is that a common trait that you see with the – with the, I keep saying athletes, I'm sorry, that's, <laughs> that's my own ingrained, but the, the, the folks that you work with? Yes, I think it's something that we – like to your point that we would see with any human anywhere. And I think it's because our – our psychology, so I'll just use that word really broadly, but to say like our thoughts, feelings, and behavior. So our performance, mm -hmm. what we're doing, how we're doing, even if we go a little deeper, what we're thinking, what we're feeling, you know, I feel overwhelmed and I want to feel confident, all of that, all of that, we can all call all of that psychology. And our psychology is what we as human beings are like staring at 24-7. We are we are swimming around in a sea of psychology. Now, now it looks like we're swimming around out in the world and we're doing things because we're our eyes point out there and we're focused on the external world. But but really, we we're so kind of I always think of this image of like pressing your nose against a window to try to see in, inside something, mm -hmm. you know, like we're like that with our thoughts, feelings and behaviors. And we don't even like, yeah, like that's just the world we live in. So I think that's why when we when someone wants to make a change they are so hyper focused innocently and understandably on how they're doing what it looks like what they're thinking what they're feeling and that might look like the only place to look but what i see in in my work when people want to become changeable and have some change is tracking all that psychology is maddening and it really isn't we think it's under our control and it really isn't as much as we think it is. When we think it's under our control, when we think I need to just make this happen and power through and feel different, we exhaust ourselves very quickly and we just don't get very far. So where else do we look? Because we're a fish in water with psychology. Like if you're not looking at your thoughts and feelings and behaviors, where else do you look? And I'll just start this in a really big way, but I think there is uh there is something beyond our psychology that that as we see how our thoughts, feelings, and behaviors are constantly changing and they're not so personal, like you say, it's our mind looks at everything and says, pass, fail, it's all about me, I did well, I didn't do good enough, but that's just how a brain talks. If mm -hmm. we can start to see, oh yeah, that's how a brain talks, that's what our mind is always doing. 
but what if I don't have to take that quite so seriously? Then there's like this really hard to describe sort of space, a, a bit of like fluidity, a bit of, of, of what we might call resilience and peace and ease that we start to feel into beyond the very, you know, rigid mental kind of ideas about things. And is that what you just spoke about there? Your podcast is titled Changeable. Is it in some ways, is that the genesis of the title? To yeah. Simplify it a little bit? Yeah. I talk about like this, the ironic way that change happens. So like you just mentioned, the the way we go about change is let me look at a thing I want to do different or have show up in my life differently and let me go out and make it happen. And ironically, especially when we're when we're trying to be free of a, of a habit or free of anxiety, the more we're staring at this thing we don't want and trying to muscle it to change, just trying to use willpower and sheer discipline to make a change, the more caught up in it we get. So, so for me, changeable is sort of like the more we just see how we work, that our experience is moving through us all the time, that our mind is designed to give a evaluation on everything, to give a pass fail on everything, to chart our progress. It's just a computer. That's just what computers mm -hmm. do. But the more we see that, the less seriously we take it. And the less seriously we're taking all of these computations and judgments of our mind, the more we kind of feel into this space where there's limited potential and possibility. So, so brass tacks, how does somebody develop adaptability or how do they how do they become more changeable i i think it's what we are all already so i think it's a little and not not just to like you know pick on the words of it but i think it's less about becoming that we are adaptable we are resilient mm -hmm. we are changeable by nature we simply think we're not because we're so caught up in what our mind is telling us so it's really just seeing that. It's seeing, oh, this is just what a mind does. My mind is going to judge the heck out of me. It's going to beat me up like crazy when it when I don't do things the way it told me I should do things. But that's just what a mind does. I don't have to buy into that. So in again, in that space is where there's so much we find ourselves changeable and adaptable and resilient. I, I think that's absolutely wonderful. We, we have the best case study ever at a society level of the last year yeah. to show how adaptable humans are. Yeah. I mean, our, our, everything that we had as our cornerstones of routine of how we operate in life was turned upside down. But really, in a, an incredibly short time, most people managed to adapt and still operate at, you know, at a, at a pretty high level you know, obviously without discounting the adversity that everyone went through. Yeah. And to see that when we didn't, like we all had moments of not, and sometimes a lot of moments of feeling like it was really hard, that even then, like what was happening then was so often when you talk with people or remember for ourselves, it was like this mental, this concept of how life was supposed to be and how it used to be. You hear that mm -hmm. all the time, right? Like, like when are we going to get back to normal? I was supposed to be doing this right now, and instead I'm sitting at home. Or what, you know, it's it's our mind grabbing onto a picture because that's what our brain has to do to keep us alive. Our brain just is a, it, it's sole function. It doesn't care about our performance, really. It doesn't care about our happiness. It, it's just an organ that has to keep you physically alive. So it's going to be super efficient, and it's going to try to predict the future 
just to keep you alive. But the problem is we, our brain kind of comes in and, you know, wants to cling to these concepts and ideas and all of this and us who we are and all of this stuff. And we kind of just don't see that that's just what a brain does, you know? So when our mind is sitting there telling us, yeah, this isn't how this was supposed to go. And when can we get back to normal? And I want my old life back. And we're suffering. That's just a brain saying exactly what a brain would say. But but we're innocently, you know, kind of thinking that, that those are our thoughts and that, that that's something to take really seriously. So I have two, th- I hope that I can get this across succinctly. Firstly, I I love that uh, that you you expressed we already are adaptable because it's what that identifies is it's not a destination that you're trying to go towards and uh, what you're actually doing is unlocking what is already there yeah. and uh, we we are adaptable with with that in mind if I now skip to athletic performance one of the common issues or challenges of someone that is trying to perform athletically is a tendency to pollute with overcomplication. We call it paralysis of analysis. Do you think in, in many ways that is exactly the same of what you just expressed there, where it's, it's the brain getting in the way of, of actually allowing us to do what is already there? Yes, <laughs> totally, <laughs> totally. And I, and again, I love, I love when you talk about this really specifically in athletics. And then it's like, oh my gosh, and that's everywhere. You know, of course mm-hmm. it is, right? But yes, I mean, that's probably all of our problems in any area of life all the time is overthinking, and and that and see, we don't even overthink. Like you just said, it's our brain's job to overthink. <laughs> A brain yeah. will overthink and it will predict the future. It'll visualize that loss or visualize all this. And it's just doing that, not because it's our enemy and we need to get it under control. It's doing it because 200,000 years ago, we survived because a brain predicted that a woolly mammoth coming around the corner was going to eat you. If, if your ancestors could pick up on that quickly, you were out of there and you survived. So it's beautiful that our brain does this, but we just need to know that it does this. So yes, it overcomplicates, it overthinks, it tosses out all these ideas, all these options, all these images that we that we innocently kind of just take as truth. And the more we can see that that's just what a brain does, then your brain will still overthink to some degree, but you won't care about it so much. It won't hold you back. You'll be like, oh, there goes my mind. That's what it always does before a race, or that's what it always mm-hmm. does here. And it, and it honestly, when we can see it that way, you know, it just doesn't have the impact on performance. Yeah, no, it, it's super. So it sticking through my, my coach's lens, uh, but I don't want you to answer it athletically. There are some elements that I consistently discuss around sort of really being important in the journey of an athlete. And so I'm going to ask you how important are these elements? And I'm going to list all four that I sort of, that I, I noted down and how important do you feel like these elements are in successful evolution of habits or making change? These are the four having a high degree or sense of accountability, having, being a part of a community or feeling like you belong, not just doing, going on the journey, uh, having a mentor of sorts or, or being a mentor. 
helping others because I think that that goes two ways, doesn't it? There's mm-hmm. it's empowering to actually help others while you're trying to help yourself. So so I throw all four of those out there. You you might just focus on one. It's okay, but uh, are they important? Well, it's so interesting. I think um, I think they're probably all important, but they all are like, why are they important? I think is the question, you know, or one way to look at it. And I think they're all important for this because they do the same thing for us in some roundabout way is they keep us when our brain is over here saying, making up stories and doubting and fearing and all of the stuff it does, they keep that in check. You know, Mm -hmm. if you have some accountability, I don't know who toward, but yourself or someone else or a calendar or whatever, and your mind says, eh, I don't feel like it. Well, you're not going to run away with that is is likely. You're going to, you know, and a brain will do that. A brain will say, oh, you deserve to just sleep in today. Well, no, you know, so, so I think that's why same with community, same with mentoring and being mentored is it's like they, they, all of those things, I think kind of help connect us to something that is our true, our true nature, which is again, mm-hmm. full of high performance, resilience, everything we want. And they sort of help when the brain comes in and gets loud to, to distract us from that. They, they help us see that for what it is. Do, do you, um, do you think when you're a part of, uh, we, we talk a lot about purpose and, uh, where, where does purpose come in for you with your, your work with people, helping them identify purpose and why they're looking to make change, rather than just saying, I, I, I want to change this sort of thing. Does, does pur- is purpose important? I think it is, and it, but, it, but it's, here's the thing I see around purpose, again, and, and keeping in mind often this is for someone who wants to be free of a habit or a addiction or anxiety. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, a lot of times I think our mind will hear that we should have a purpose and that that will help us. And it becomes this kind of artificial thing. So people might say like, I want to do this for my kids. I want to do it for this reason. Or, you know, and, and some, you know, we, you can just feel like sometimes that's super genuine and you feel that that is a purpose that just showed up from within them beyond all this thinking. And sometimes it's a purpose that they plucked from their mind because it sounded nice and they thought it would help motivate them. <laughs> so yeah. for me, like, that's it. Like, I think we all have a ton of purpose and it, and our purpose could be having this conversation as ours right now. It could be little, it could be huge, but it's genuine and it's in there and it's not something we need to to create mentally. That's uh, I, I agree with that. The authenticity of purpose is only valuable with authenticity of purpose in a way. Yeah. And uh, you, you can't make it, let the mind, the computer make it up and then hope that that's going to be a driving factor. Exactly. It's a, a part of the cycle. Yeah. Um, when, uh, I, I want to ask about uh, capacity a little bit. And I- in sports, we work with people at Purple Patch that are time-starved, that have, as as everyone does, really busy schedules of family, work commitments, travel. And then many of our athletes are trying to train for very demanding sports events while doing it. And really what that ends up uh ends up happening is an accumulation of too much stress relative to the the honest real capacity that we have and uh, folks 
often lean into this concept of willpower to try and help them get through. So toughness, willpower. Earlier in the conversation, you mentioned willpower. You said, okay, brute force. So unpack for me the dangers or challenges of making change, finding performance around just leaning into will. It's just not sustainable, yeah? Yeah, it's not sustainable and it's not deep, you know, it's like, it just feels very surface level. It's like, oh, I'm going to see again. It's kind of like our purpose conversation in a sense. If something is a true, authentic, genuine purpose for someone, they're going to find a way to do it. There's no force necessary. Now it doesn't mean it's, it's going to be easy, you know, but it's just, it's not going to feel like willpower for the most part. So, but, but when it's, like, oh, I should be fitting this in, or I said I would, you know, and then I think sometimes it's just, and so, so it's not sustainable, but it's also like, yeah, it just doesn't feel like it's coming from a deep place. Mm -hmm. When, when you're helping someone with change, I'm, I'm interested on a day-to-day -day basis, is there a, a framework or a system that you tend to go through working with, if you are working with an individual? Is, is, is there something systematic about how you go about things? Yes and no. I mean, I wouldn't think of it as a framework or a system, but when I look back, you know, at a week or a decade of work or whatever, I suppose there are some aspects that are pretty systematic. And But, but really kind of what it's about is I want to see how, what that person believes about who they are and how their experience works first of all, right? So really all I do is just have conversations in various ways. But those conversations are always like, like what's, what do you believe about yourself? Do you see that you have what you need, like you know, that you are resilience and you are all of this by nature? And, you know, we all have a lot of blind spots when it comes to that. And do we see how our mind works? And when we're repeating, our mind's repeating things over and over again, that that's not necessarily how you feel. Like you don't have to necessarily listen to that. So it is a lot of this sort of back and forth, uncovering how they see things. And then a little bit of teaching about, well, what if this is really all that's going on? You know, when you doubt things over and over again, that doesn't mean anything. That's just what your brain does to keep you safe. And that sort of back and forth dance. Um, so that's not, maybe not a very clear system, but I, you can kind of see a system emerge, I think. No, I think it's how uh, I probably would have answered it around my coaching as well. So it, it makes sense. Yeah. Here's the big word. Here's the thing that, in honesty, I'm I'm most excited to ask. It's failure. What mm. a what a terrible negative word it takes us into the ditch. None of us want to be failures. Mo many athletes. I almost said most. That would be incorrect. Many athletes treat each day of their training as a personal test. Probably, I would assume, many of the folks that you work with yeah. <laughs> approach each day as a personal test. Yeah. And so, therefore, much as we talked about before, the result is either good or bad, pass versus fail. Is, is that a, an experience that, that you have as a similar mindset with the people that you work with? Yeah, for sure. And it's so interesting. I kind of just think, what if... Again, we have this brain that's just a computer, a very fancy computer. It loves to track things. It just loves to be efficient and it loves to know what's what because that's how it can keep us alive. So, so it loves to track and evaluate and label and judge because it just feels 
like it knows something when it does those things. So what if that's all this whole failure conversation is? It Mm -hmm. is a brain says, oh, you did good enough. You didn't do good enough. You know, let's improve this. Let's do this again, whatever, like this constant grading system. And, and then because we hear that in our own heads day in and day out all the time, we don't realize it's a computer doing that. We think, oh, no, this is right. This is right. I clearly failed. And that clearly means something about me is usually the next thought that comes along with it. But it but again, this is just a concept. It's like a brain just putting a stamp, a pass-fail stamp on so much of things. And so that's what I think is really cool. Like if this failure thing, I do see it all the time too. But what if it's just a concept that a little conceptual computer spits out and we don't have, like we just get to kind of see, wow, it's just not ever what it appears to be. It's not so black and white. It's not so rigid. And even if you, even if someone says, no, I clearly failed at this, right? Like, like Mm -hmm. let's say everyone would agree. I failed. I feel like I failed. So what? Like everything after that is still just a bunch of meaning that a brain makes up and puts on things to try to know what it's talking about. So no, no one cares about failure just for failure's sake. We care about failure or success because of what our brain, our mind makes up that it means about us. Yep. You know? so, so you know what I mean? Like, we, like where are we going to stop with all these stories? Even if it's a clear failure, okay, fine. But what's really bothering us is all these implications and they just can't be true. There has to be so much subjectivity and just made up meaning and all of that. So so take me to the next step and think about one of your most successful clients. What does failure mean to them? Once they've seen something around this? Yeah. 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 Once they've emerged and they're they're sort of seen it, do you know, is it part of the journey to lifelong success? Is that how they start to see it? Uh, yes. And that f- what we call failure is like oftentimes, you know, people are doing great and then they're they're kind of not seeing much anymore. So I think a lot of times, like my clients would call that like a crash. So you're doing great in your progress, whatever that means. And then you have a huge panic attack or you fall into your habit again. They call that a crash. But on the other side of that crash is always, it sounds so cliche, I hate to even say it, but honestly, on the other side of that crash is always a deeper seeing, always. Mm-hmm. So no one wants it, but it's part of, it seems to be part of life that you fail and you crash, you know, but f- from that, they get to see things in a whole deeper level that they weren't seeing when they were just nice on this nice little upswing. And that's, I think what you said there, it doesn't mean that failure tastes good. It doesn't right. mean that it feels good. Right. But it's almost essential for clarity or growth in many ways. So, so if, if it's an athlete who has had a bad race and, uh, and they've really struggled, by, by all intent and purposes, they have failed how how can they see that as growth how, how can they what how should they look back and try to grow from it uh, to me i would think like let's like why does this failure even bother you to begin with and again you're going to see all kinds of stories coming up you like like the way i would say it is like this gives us an amazing opportunity to see exactly how your mind talks to you 
and that you don't have mm-hmm. to buy all that. So everybody has high days and low days or good, like, otherwise it'd be really weird. Like if life were the same all the time, right? That's in anything. Like it's part of the design is that there's fluctuation. The fact that a brain comes in and calls that a failure and then tells a story about what it means about how you've been training or where you're headed next or whatever, that is such an amazing opportunity to see how a mind does that. You know, and it's mm-hmm. hard to see because, again, we all live in this world where we would, you know, 100 out of 100 people might agree, yeah, that was a failure. But so we kind of take that as truth. We take these generalizations and these labels and concepts as some sort of truth, and we don't ever really look under the hood. But when you really look, it's like, well, again, like our mind is just saying that's a failure. It should not have happened. Our, our brain deciding what should or shouldn't have happened in the universe and then given a bunch of personal meaning to it of why it shouldn't have happened. And that's, you know, we love control. We love, we don't have any control as far as I can say, but we love the appearance of control. <laughs> we love perceived control. We love to work hard and see it pay off. And that's beautiful. That's part of having fun on this earth as humans. But it's also really humbling and su- like an amazing growth opportunity to see, yeah, but it's not always going to go your way. And look what your mind does when it doesn't go your way. With uh, one of the things I'm drawing from this conversation as well, which is the same in performance in anything, is this is an ongoing process. It's, uh, we always talk about the journey. And so it, it's, yeah. not a, it's not a fix, yeah? It's a... Yeah. Uh, it's a it's a process. I, I presume you'd agree with that. Yeah, yeah. Um, There's nothing to fix either, right? <laughs> like what's yeah. broken? There's nothing broken. It's yeah. We're just going on a journey. I, I think that's really important as well. Uh, with with listeners that are maybe leaning to be more anxious, do do struggle or are challenged with this side of stuff, do take things that happen very personally, and they can look at this. Are there some really basic habits that that can be helpful on a daily basis for people yeah i think um i think you know things things like anxiety anything that feels uncomfortable that that takes us away like let's just assume we have this natural sort of default home base where we're just okay. It's not the best day of your life, but it's, you know, you're not super, it's not full of emotion. You're just content. You're just sort of okay. And then our mind comes in and tells all kinds of stories and we feel those stories. So all kinds of feelings and experiences get kind of piled on top of this default okayness. So when we aren't feeling okay, we're not at kind of what I would call our sort of home base. That's showing us that our mind is off making up all kinds of stuff that we're believing. So someone wakes up, you know, and just is hit with anxiety or worry or fear. Life didn't do that. Life wasn't any different than it was five minutes ago. That has nothing to do with what's coming in store for them or what they did yesterday. It can't. It Mm -hmm. only can be showing them where their mind is off traveling to, the stories their mind is telling them. Sometimes those stories aren't even conscious stories. We just wake up and feel a bunch of stuff. But we know that's all this psychological experience, you know? So I think one really, really cool thing is to just sort of see that and to know that the, the more worried or doubtful or anxious we're feeling that is this beautiful like pointer back home. It's showing us, hey, your mind is off making up stories and I think you're believing them. You might not want to believe those stories so much. Mm-hmm. Is, is there anything 
you wake up in the morning and you have these thoughts. Is there anything that you have your clients do, like a, a moment of grounding? And, and I'll give you an example of what popped into my mind, uh, why I'm asking this question. From a, from a coaching standpoint, one of the athletes love gadgets and they've got every gadget under the sun, heart rate monitor, rings that they're wearing to tell them how they slept, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, and all, the, all these gadgets. But one of the things we really like athletes to do when they first wake up is just have a little bit of a pause mm -hmm. by themselves and ask themselves a question, a, a simple question, which is, how do I feel? And that can be really important because it's, it's really designed to provide perspective, you know, a little bit, okay, because if they're really tired, why am I tired? Oh, goodness me, I've trained really hard or I've had a lot of stress from work or life or anything else. Is there anything really tangible like that that, that you have found helpful for people that are, are, are challenged with these types of components? I think anything like that that helps someone is great. So I don't tend to, just because I think it's so different for everyone, but what, but what I think is cool is to see that that when they take, like in your case, when they ask that question and take that pause, they're they're tapping into something that's always there. So some people like to just breathe. Some people like to just to ask a question. Some people, like, whatever it might be. But I guess kind of where I go with that is like, let's just see what's always true. Then along the way, we'll find our own little touch points around it. Yeah, that yeah. that makes sense. So so let me go go downstairs a little bit because the the head sits on top of the body, and as a doctor that focuses on the on the head, the brain, the mind, how do you approach if you do the connection between physical health and mental health? I'm very interested in your perspective on that. Yeah, I I think. Um... I think it's just all one thing. <laughs> like, mm -hmm. I think we all know it's all one thing. Do you know what I mean? But I still think even, even, um, even though we sort of know that by now, it's so incredibly common, probably me in my own life too, to just to kind of keep looking at them and feeling them like they're different, you know? Yeah. And, and so, and, and it's, it's so much of that is such a mystery, I think truly, except that we do all sort of are on the same page of knowing, okay, there's a giant connection here. <laughs> like it's all one thing. Um, but I think it's really cool to see that if we know our thoughts and feelings are always changing and that wherever our mind goes, that like uh, the rest of our body follows in suit, it's all one giant system. But again, it's a system. It's like weather. It's, it's always changing. There might be certain weather patterns that are common where you live or where I live, but, but one foggy day or one snowy day for me, like it's, it's just a period of time. It's going to change with, you know, that, that, that happens physically too, because often I think, you know, what I see, I'm sure you do as well. It's like this hyper-focus on something. Oh my gosh, what is this? Here's a problem. Yes. Here's a new mm -hmm. thing. I need to fix this, you know? And now we're back at being not changeable because we're staring at this problem that looks so solid and we can't see anything else. Like, you know, we have these blinders on and we're just staring at that. So to start with this sort of knowing that it's all one big system and that I think by and large, the the more we we are less spooked by what's going on in us physically, mentally, emotionally, the more it's going to have room to move and we're going to see new ideas. Like we're going to have new thoughts. 
We're going to know when it's time to go get something checked out versus when we're just worrying too much about it. All of that, we're designed with that sort of insight with that mm-hmm. sort of ability to just have, have intuition about ourselves and to know that kind of stuff. So in general, the more relaxed we are, I'm sure you see this too. Again, just the better we feel, the more relaxed we are, everything just works the best, the best it's going to possibly work. Well, it's interesting. It's uh, uh, some athletes that are slightly hyper-focused around races. I'll often tell them, go out and train all day because that's something that's really familiar to them in their races and then they go and have their best races because there's a they they make the race a problem does that make sense yeah it's like well it's something different this is a race i know i do this every day but this is a race and it's like we'll go and train all day they're like oh i raced well yeah it's uh it's actually giving them space to fluidity so so my last question and uh it uh my last question for you is this performance focused individual listening, seeking to develop resilience and adaptability. They want to become more changeable. What is your final advice to these folks? Congratulations. You've arrived. (laughs) You are fully (laughs) adaptable, fully changeable, fully resilient. When you don't feel that way, across the board for all of us, when we don't feel that way and when our life isn't showing us that, we are caught up in some thinking that looks stable and true and solid. We're just trying too hard. We're, we're over, our mind is overcomplicating it as minds do, but we're identifying with that. We're thinking that's true. And I think the more we can just see, yeah, your brain will get in the way like crazy because it loves you. It's trying to protect you. It'll get in the way, but you don't have to worry about every thought and every feeling that passes your way. The less we do, the more we bounce back to everything we're looking for. What a wonderful way to finish. It's absolutely exciting. That last minute, we need to cut it and people just need to listen to it every morning when they wake up. Yeah. It's wonderful. (laughs) Amy, thank you so much. I really appreciate your willingness Mm -hmm. to come on, take on the hot seat and, uh, and provide your perspective. I know it's incredibly helpful for all of our listeners. So really appreciate it. Thank you, Matt. It's so good talking about this stuff. And I love just seeing it apply all over the place. Super. Thanks so much. Take care. Thank you. Well, all I can say is thank you so much, Dr. Johnson. I enjoyed your perspective and insights. It's empowering and it's helpful. And listeners, I hope that helped you no matter what your quest is in life. Now, I encourage you to follow Amy and listen to her podcast. You're not going to forget the title, Changeable. We're going to add how to follow Dr. Johnson in the show notes and, of course, how to engage with her over the course of the podcast. And with that, until next week, stay safe and take care. Thanks so much. Hey guys, this is Matt. Thanks so much for listening. This has been the Purple Patch Podcast. And if you like what you hear, we'd really appreciate it if we share with your friends and really go the extra mile. Head over to Apple Podcasts or your favorite platform to follow, rate, and review the show. Your support and reviews go a long way to increasing our visibility and, of course, the exposure to time-starved people everywhere who want to integrate sport into life and ultimately thrive, just like me and you. Don't forget, you can follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. 
Links to the episode resources and all of our programs can be found at purplepatchfitness.com. Thanks much for listening. Take care.